0: This is Mouth Media Network, covering the
1: business of lifestyle.
2: This episode of All Possibilities is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio.
1: This episode is hosted by Jessica Brodkin, who you may remember from episode number 11. She's filling in as a guest host for All Possibilities as I take care of my newborn baby. Enjoy the show.
0: How does a chance encounter... At a music festival, lead to a spiritual journey that has so far lasted 15 years. Transforming an atheist into a spiritual seeker. Today, we welcome the brilliant musings of stand-up comedian Mike Kaplan. Let's rock and roll.
1: Welcome to the All Possibilities Podcast podcast. I'm your host, Julie Chan, intuitive life purpose coach and founder of Being My Purpose. Together, let's embark on a discovery of all possibilities.
0: Mike, you are obviously... Uh, comic stand-up comic that's how the world knows you and sees you and you've been doing this for how long now
2: 15 or so years it's a long time uh you know it's in one sense a long time
0: and in other senses
2: uh nope it's i guess there's only one sense (laughs) (laughs)
0: you've been doing this a long time you have all sorts of accolades and such but which is awesome and i um did just watch small Dork and handsome thank you for watching it you're welcome. It was very funny, so I it, was, it. it was not a chore to watch it. It was enjoyable oh
2: th- thank you for putting yourself through that <laughs> putting yourself through that joy
0: no, it was uh no it was it was really good, but it was it's on uh it's on amazon
2: it is that is correct
0: um prime so glad I renewed that membership oh yeah mm. yes uh and this is what we'd like to ask you. Today is sort of like what your spiritual practice is
2: sure uh i I grew up not really having any uh i was my my mom and dad were both Jewish of some kind mm-hmm. but uh other than we did go like i went to temple uh mm-hmm. you know i was bar mitzvahed. uh but i I don't feel like as a child I was you know really uh it wasn't really impressed upon me exactly, you know, like all of the importance that, let's say, people who as adults care about these practices, uh, you know, know about and care about. Um, So
0: secular Jew, more or less.
2: I can't speak for anyone other than myself, but certainly my own childhood experience and the childhood experiences of lots of people that I've talked to, you know, sort of anecdotal evidence-wise, it seems very uncommon for a child to be like, here's what I believe, and here's what I do, and it's definitely, like, you know, my own choice, and it's not, you know, I'm just doing what my parents uh, do and have suggested that I do because, like, you know, you hear about all kinds of people going to Catholic school or going to, you know, being made to go to church or temple or... or, part
0: of cults or whatever.
2: Whatever it is. Uh, And, you know, sometimes people, you know, rebel or go off on their own and then either come back to it... To, to the sort of the places that they started. And, uh, but now they're like, oh, now I, I sort of, do you know this, uh, do you know the, the Zen koan, I guess I think it is, the uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, mm-hmm. after enlightenment, chop wood, wood, carry ch- water. And so I feel like for some people it's like, oh, if you grow up, you know, not, you know, sort of going through the motions of whatever religion your parents or your community uh, sort of thrust upon you, then you... Go through some phase of enlightenment, which could be like, "Oh, I don't need this," or, and then eventually, maybe you come back to, "Oh, that I don't need this, but now that this does have greater meaning for me because I'm choosing it." Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think that my mom was, to her, uh, she was more into music than religion. Like she was a music teacher. Mm. Mo- both my parents were music teachers. Uh, That's adorable. And so I was like, I was made to part participate in uh, music for most of my life. Uh, as a child, like when I started playing the violin, I was four and I went to, it was sort of in like religiously structured in that every Saturday I would, for most of my childhood, I would go to a music school, a violin school, and I would play in orchestras and quartets and chamber groups and take theory lessons. And, uh, and I didn't, didn't love it. Uh, but it was just What what I was to do and I had a violin private lesson every week and then there would sometimes be like different days and it actually kind of mirrored my uh, my Jewish education my Hebrew school schooling uh, where i I think that also started like going every either Saturday morning or Sunday morning, or depending what year it was, how old I was, I would mm-hmm. go and learn things there that I didn't care about that I <laughs> you know like some Bible stories sanitized for children and <laughs> and Hebrew that I could now read if it has the vowels written in it, but not understand or tell you what it nice. is that I'm reading um and then i then days got added like on I would have you know history on. Sundays and Hebrews on Mondays and then maybe like private bar mitzvah tutoring on Wednesdays. And the same thing with music it was lesson one day and orchestra and theory another so day. Sounds
0: like it was really structured with music and uh, sanitized religion.
2: Yeah. I, and the and I think the music like music was more my mother's religion, I think, mm. than, I, I like practice wise right. that, you know, I think she, you know, my parents both believe in something, but. I think that that belief is, like, vaguer and hazier. Like, they wouldn't say, like, for sure, we as a family definitely believe that this is, you know, what God is or what God does or how – I mean, not how to behave because I was also taught, you know, to be uh, a generally a kind person and that was not necessarily linked with religion. It was just sort of uh, the thing – you know, my parents were, in general, nice people and they're like, you also be a nice person. Uh, but yeah, I think that music was sort of my first like religious like or spiritual type of practice, which I, in a like in sort of the, the structure that I discussed earlier, I went away from like when I went to college, I did like my own thing. Like I started teaching myself guitar in high school and then I started writing songs and I sort of dropped away from the violin because it was the thing that I'd been made to do that I didn't care that much about, yeah. uh, but I, it, it sort of granted me you know the skills and the ability and the love of now the thing that I look the really enjoyed doing which was playing music on the guitar and making music and songs which is what ultimately led me to comedy uh because some of my songs were funny and that's uh I just wanted to play them wherever I could and I found a comedy club that let me do it and in between the songs I would talk and that is what ultimately turned into jokes and what turned into my you know career and professional and creative aspirations but uh like, in the meantime, I'd already stopped, you know, caring about, you know, the Hebrew school had never been, like, cared about by me or really emphasized by my, my mother. She said once as when I was a kid and doesn't remember whenever I bring it up to her. Uh, she said that I just wanted you to have something so that you wouldn't have a void that would get filled, like, by a cult or something.
0: I mean, she sounds like a smart lady.
2: I mean, I, she is a smart lady, for sure. You know sure. what I mean?
0: Like that. And um, I think that even when... People, let's say, go through the motions with with some religions, like when they don't really believe it. Like a lot of the, the virtues of it get passed down in like smaller ways that people don't even realize.
2: When uh, I started doing like guided meditations mm-hmm. through the Headspace app a couple of years ago. Is that
0: how it started for you?
2: Uh, meditation, yes.
0: It started through Headspace. Yeah. That's unbelievable. And that's like, still what I do. The fir- You're the first person I know who like went on like a whole path through an app.
2: Sure. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, And one of the things that it says is, uh, and I'm sure that a lot of it's not the only thing Mm -hmm. that says this, but it's like, when I started doing it, before I ever did uh, any kind of meditation, I was not, I wouldn't say resistant, but just like, I'm like, why do I need to do this? Or why should I do this? Right. Like, what, because I have, you know, the thing that they say sometimes, like, if you don't, if you have time, meditate 10 minutes a day. And if you don't have time, meditate an hour a day. Yes. And... I was of the mind, I'm like, well, I have so many, I'm trying to maximize, like, there's so many things to do. Like, there's, I don't have just 10 minutes. Like, if I have 10 minutes, like, why would I spend it sitting, you know, being with myself when I could be watching a horrible TV show, you know? Right, right, right. Um, and, but I, you know, I, I learned about the the practical sort of scientific Uh, analyses that show that meditation has these positive effects and also have like it's it's sort of like an interesting intersection in the venn diagram of like science and magic because it definitely feels unexplainable like it the thing Uh that's going on is such a weird thing but also is you know measured by scientific metrics uh
0: and that's relatively new as i'm sure you know yes the measurement
2: and and when i so when i started i was like well this is I know this is to be good for me. I don't know how, but it was basically it was even in like the offering of it it itself saying, like, just start by doing this. Just start by, you know, if the app says breathe this way or visualize this way or sit this way, just like go through the motions uh, and they it will have effects. I mean, it's about the process, but the the product, the result will come from that and I so I accepted that and I believed that and it's like there's this old uh there's these two things I talk about on stage sometimes one is Niels Bohr the physicist uh-huh. uh, there's a story of him having a horseshoe over his door and Einstein comes and visits and he's like why do you have this horseshoe you're a man of science do you believe this superstitious nonsense and Bohr says uh, I don't believe it but they say that it works even if you don't believe it and uh which is I think a funny thing for a scientist to say about a horseshoe. And then I also read much more – I heard that years ago. And then much more recently I saw a quote from Neil deGrasse Tyson that said, the best thing about science is that it is true whether or not you believe it. Yes. And so I like that those things are sort of opposite statements about you know science and luck, science and magic. And there's also this Niels Bohr quote that I love that I talk about on stage because I love it, that he said uh, something like the opposite of a profound truth is often – also a profound truth. And so all of this is to say that, I mean, I've had the experience of meditation, quote, working. Like I, I believed that it probably would based on, you know, the evidence. So, yeah, the, the evidence, the scientific evidence that I'd seen presented. And now from my own individual personal experience, I'm like, oh, yeah, this does something. And so I, I, I'm not surprised at all that if in any, you know, religious practice, spiritual practice, like if you if you go if the motions are, you know, breathing and accepting and loving and treating yourself and people kindly and focusing on, you know, letting uh, distracting emotions and thoughts and feelings like, you know, pass like from your your mental, your consciousness is sort of uh i you know i uh like you know headspace talks about the idea that there's just this blue sky beneath us all uh you know at the deep down at our core and there's just these clouds that if you can let them pass then that's like that or i've heard like the buddha mind is you know a a ripple-free pond and sometimes you know a thought or a feeling will ripple it but that you know the person the closest you the closer you are to this buddha mentality like the the quicker you'll return from it being rippled to its clear, pristine state. And uh, so, yeah, I think that throughout the course of my life, even when I wouldn't have identified as spiritual or having any spiritual practices, uh, when I was resistant to even like the idea of you know, like rituals, rituals that didn't matter to me, like seem like, well, why, why should I do them? Who cares about lighting candles under these circumstances on, you know, on this night once a week or on this time once a year? Um, And but then it occurred to me that I have my own sort of like personal rituals in my life. And Mm. now I have some communal rituals that uh, are more valuable to me. Um, but yeah, so I, I did start, I started meditating a few years ago and also a few years before that I started doing ayahuasca ceremonies.
0: So you started ayahuasca before meditating. I mean, that's amazing to me because ayahuasca is like, it's way more intense.
2: It's a more intense meditation.
0: Yes. That does a lot more things for the brain or different things for the brain.
2: It does. Uh, I mean, and I guess maybe not even different things, but, uh, a different scope.
0: I don't think, I mean, ayahuasca is at least partially DMT. Mm-hmm. Um, and meditation, I don't, I mean, I don't think it increases the DMT in your brain. Uh, I agree that it does. I'm actually, I'm not, sure. I'm
2: not positive either. But I just know that the very first time that I felt something yeah. like meditating while meditating without any substances in my yes. body, uh, it I had already had experiences with ayahuasca and DMT. And it It didn't feel like I was under the influence. I didn't feel like, oh, no, I shouldn't drive right now. But it did sort of, you know, overtake like my mental space in a in a familiar way.
0: So my question to you. I have many. One is what brought you to ayahuasca to begin with?
2: Sure. Uh, Because
0: that's kind of a I mean, ayahuasca is more sort of talked about and accepted now, but. I don't know when you did this, eight years ago? Mm, this is at
2: four, like 2014.
0: 2014. So, um, so I guess people were still doing it quite a bit for four years ago, right? But it, I it, mean, it's more popular right now.
2: It's uh, been
0: gaining popularity.
2: It does seem it was written up in The New Yorker about a year or two ago. Yes, so. people
0: went bananas.
2: Um, it's, it's always difficult to say, you know, what is happening in – like at large yes. because i only, you know, have my own experience. Sure. And so i know, you know, like when people are like, man, it's different than when i was a kid. Yeah, you're you're a grown-up, so it's different. <laughs> like that's definitely i mean, at, there are some ways in which, you know, we definitely society has changed. Like the number of movies that come out is much higher. The yes. the the connectivity of the internet, you know, yes. we are Social able media. to have, you know, a greater knowledge of so many different things and and that is probably why that yes I mean ayahuasca like as a kid I'd never heard of ayahuasca right most most audiences when I talk about it uh, if I ask you know who hasn't I usually ask who has not heard of it and there's usually most audiences majority have not heard of it so, so it's maybe
0: we should tell our audience here what ayahuasca is sure because I'm I haven't done it but I'm very very familiar and I've almost done it a few times but
2: it is yeah it is uh, as I understand it there's a vine That is essentially called the ayahuasca vine.
0: Grandmother, the grandmother vine.
2: Uh, Yeah, some people say grandmother, some people say mother, some people just say vine, uh, and uh, it grows in South America, and it has DMT in it, and DMT is what's inside of our it's inside our bodies and many i think many Pl- if not all a lot of animals a lot of mammals
0: and also i think pla- um plants yep. have DMT as well all of it appears that all living things have some DMT in it
2: that sounds reasonable i'm not i'm not an expert but uh to create the the drink the ayahuasca tea mm-hmm. uh it, you take the uh the vine and combine it with uh this chacruna leaf mm-hmm. uh, and that leaf has in it something that turns down like that inhibits the inhibitors that in our heads at all times like we have you know the dmt that's in our brain uh we're not tripping out on that and you know acting like we're dying all the time or having these hallucinations or meetings with our deeper self or our ancestors or having our life flash before our eyes we're not having that constantly happen because there's other chemicals uh that are at at work all the time and i believe the chakruna like inhibits those And then the ayahuasca increases the amount of DMT so that uh, you are then in the ceremonial context experiencing this heightened state, this different state of consciousness.
0: And from what I understand from my friends who've done it is that during um, and from the research during the DMT or during an ayahuasca ceremony where shamans usually administer it, there is a lot of vomiting or excretions that happen for a lot of people, not everybody. Um, the guide
2: that I go to says, I mean, we, we always have buckets. Yeah, yes. Um, and there are always bathrooms available. And there are different versions, like there are different sort of strains uh-huh. of different plants that uh, I think different colors. And some of them do make you purge or cleanse or clean more than others. But uh, the versions that I've done uh the guide has always said like it's not a vomiting experience like sometimes a person will vomit and other times everyone will vomit is what he says um (laughs) but uh i probably when people ask it's like i had never heard of it as a kid i
0: me neither i
2: heard of it in my 20s for the first time i heard of people in the context of like going to the jungle and doing it there and i've mostly done it in america with a, a peruvian guide who you know learned in in the jungles in you know in South America but uh the vomiting i also i remember being a person who had never done it and being afraid being like i don't want to vomit vomiting's unpleasant it's not my favorite thing why would i want to do that uh but now sort of being on the other side of it number 1 it doesn't happen all the time number 2 for the most part uh it's not something that you know if the experience is 4 hours uh the vomiting is like you know a minute or a couple minutes like it's ra- in rare occasions people will sometimes feel sick more throughout right. the whole thing and i have had some experiences that were you know i'm not to say that every experience is completely pleasant from start to end uh but often often for me it's like there's sort of anxiety and like discomfort in the beginning and then you sort of get you break through this asteroid belt And then, and sometimes with vomiting, sometimes without vomiting. Then on the other side of that, it's like they talk about vomiting with happiness, vomiting with pleasure, because you are, you know,
0: I haven't experienced that yet, but
2: you're purging yourself of, you know, of things that are uh, good to get out. Like the the first person who ever introduced me to like the group of people that I do these ceremonies with. His first time, he vomited and hallucinated that he was vomiting a ring that belonged to his father, that his father had punched him and left him a scar on his head with. And so for him, it sort of represented that darkness from his father who had hurt him, this sort of negativity and anger that he was like, now I'm getting that anger out of me. And he came out of the experience, you know, more loving than he had ever been, more loving for himself and his father, more understanding uh, and you know, not everybody gets an experience like that. That's like as on the nose, right. uh, not every time is, you know, full of necessarily, oh, look, another perfect universal truth or another truth about myself or my family. But, uh, but it also is, and I can only talk about my own experience cause it's different for everybody all the time. And it's different for me from time to time. Um, like each one is sort of a different, you know, Twilight Zone episode, like, there might not be the same characters, there might be the same kind of feel, but even that sometimes it might be different.
0: Coming up, you'll hear Mike talk more about his experience with ayahuasca, what prompted his journey, and what prompted his journey into meditation and how it informs his life today.
1: a story or a comment you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. You can also connect with me directly at my own website, beingmypurpose.com.
3: Hello world, I'm Michelle Park. Hello world, I'm Stacey Eagle. And welcome to mom got, got This. He got this. We are so excited to host this show. We're going to have a show Monday through Thursday, and every day we're going to be talking to one amazing guest who also happens to be a mom, but every day we're going to be asking them about different parts of their life. What inspires them? What makes them happy? What makes them sad? What did they do before they made it? And most of all, their mom journey, because these women have really made it. They really have. And they're all moms, which is, I think, amazing in itself. Like being a mom is already a full time job. It's a full time job. And there's highs and there's lows and we're busy and we're juggling. And these are all working moms. Mm -hmm. So we want to hear their stories. What inspires them? What gets them down? What are the products they use and the recipes to make life easy? What products do they like, what they don't like. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I'm so excited about this. Every episode, we're actually going to hear from you guys, the listeners, because we want to hear your mom's got this moment. We want to hear about why your mom. So we want you to join us Monday through Thursday every week. And don't forget to subscribe. So make sure you go to our website, momsgotthispodcast.com. And use our hashtag. Mom's Mom's got got
1: this.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Premieres May 14th on Mouth Media Network and sponsored in part by luxury footwear brand Tamara Mellon.
0: You're like a hipster of life, kind of, no? In a non douchey way.
2: I understand why you're saying that.
0: (laughs) I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, obviously. You couldn't. (laughs) Even better. Um, Excellent.
2: Or maybe you could. I don't know. I don't but know. You, I, you, mean, you I mean, I'm not like a didn't. malicious person. No, no. no. Uh, so,
0: <laughs> I wish I was. No. Um. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, that so was a back- malicious thing to say to yourself. <laughs> uh, so, the the path that I was on from I think growing up, I let's say I believed in God in some way. I was like, sure like if i if you ask me like did i believe in the afterlife i remember sort of in college thinking about it and being like i would like there to be but i have like no evidence one way or the other so why not pick the one that i like right. and then you know based on the idea the concept of god that most you know religions that i grew up seeing has or seems to have or people purport that it has, uh, didn't really connect sort of incongruous and cognitively dissonant with the idea of like, well, there's so many people suffering in the world at any given time. So many people going to bed hungry, so many people victims of war and abuse and mm-hmm. disease. Like, how does this, uh, jive with, a, a loving God? And so I was like, well, it seems like none of those books are exactly right. And so yeah. maybe it is just, you know, all we know is what we see, all we have here, um, then so then I found this book. Uh, this is when I sort of got into like Eastern philosophy because it didn't. It seemed a little more. You know, the idea of like oh like there's this song by I think Toad the Wet Sprocket uh, that has like Buddha in the title and the the lyrics are something like life is suffering. Ha ha. <laughs> um, and that you know that that at least uh, the idea that so here's another a thing from the Talmud that I like that mm-hmm. my friend zach shared with me uh that i talk about a lot now is the idea of having one piece of paper in each pocket uh one saying this world was created for you the other saying you are nothing but ash and dust Mm -hmm. that you know you're everything and you're nothing that uh, you know all of us all of us are the center of our own universe and also you know the tiniest cog in an infinite wheel you
0: know that's actually the the talit the the um what is it called the the prayer shawl symbolizes Mm -hmm. that oh because the colors are both white and blue. Hmm. And so it's kind of like water. Like if you take a scoop of water in your hand, it's clear. If you look at water in mass, it's blue. Oh, so I like it that. shows that we are both – and the same with air. It shows that we are both a very small part and a large part of the whole. And that's why the, the colors are white and blue for the Israeli flag as well.
2: And we're also mostly made of water and air. <laughs> yes. Um, And water is blue and air is white. Um, So <laughs> – I so I really like got into sort of you know these Zen stories, mm-hmm. uh, which later, my friend Zach would share like sort of Talmudic tales, you know, tales of like you know sort of Jewish mythology that also were like the same kind of you know spiritual like Absolutely. lessons and fables and affirmations, and these are all just sort of the, you know these ancient truths, you know, manifesting just in whatever whatever clothing. Uh, you know, whatever tradition sees them through. Um, and so I found this book by this guy, Raymond Smullian, called This Book Needs No Title. And it had these sort of, you know, little logic puzzles and Zen koans and philosophical stories and messages. Uh, and it was funny. And there was this one story called Planet Without Laughter, where it was basically an allegory for our world, like, and saying that our world today is full of people who have sort of lost touch with... The concept of like mysticism and enlightenment, that we've heard of those things, uh, and maybe if we saw them, we would be like, "Oh, yeah, there it is, but it you know couldn't really tap into them and produce them, you know, on. On our own, like most people today. And so the Planet Without Laughter imagined that, like, what if it was instead of mysticism, just laughter? What if laughter used to be common? Everybody did it. Everybody yeah. knew how to do it, naturally produced it, invoked it, created it together themselves. But now it was only, like, a few laugh masters, you know, around the world. Nice. There was only there was tell that, oh, yeah, that I know I, this person can tell you what laughter is. And people would want to learn. They'd be like, well, okay, so how is it? Is it like, ha, 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 ha? And Ooh. you can always you can always <laughs> tell when somebody is going through the motions. If you're a person who knows what real laughter is, you can spot real laughter Absolutely. versus not real laughter. But if you don't know what it really is, then you're just like, well, what is, how do I make the sounds? And so they'd go to these laugh masters, which were, you know, stand-ins for Zen masters, let's say. Mm-hmm. And they'd say, how do I, how do I laugh? And then instead of being told the mechanics of it the you know zen masters would give a speech or like do something funny they would try to invoke you know which is why in sometimes you know zen koans or zen stories of enlightenment you know the student is like how do i do this and then the zen master doesn't answer the question because there is no literal answer to the question they're just trying to invoke you know an enlightenment experience and so i read this book at a time when i was probably you know atheist identified and uh and I was like, this sounds cool, and I don't know what it's talking about. Like, I'm definitely one of the people who doesn't know. I'm like, I know what laughter is, but I don't know what this other stuff is. And then I did mushrooms for the first time in my mid-20s. Uh, I'd never really Out been of into— Out curiosity,
0: you did mushrooms, or did something prompt that for you?
2: Um, I had—so I I got married in my mid-20s, and oh. my, my wife uh, at the time— I don't know, this was maybe like right around then or a little uh-huh. before then. She was a big she was into marijuana a lot and I had never done it before meeting her. And she encouraged me to do it and I did it and I didn't love it and I've since loved it in various ways but it's not my main Dang. go-to. I don't do it a lot. Um but yeah, it it mostly sort of clouded my mind where and then but I was now I sort of it sort of like broke the seal of like I'd heard of mushrooms, you know, I'd heard uh-huh. of the experiences that you can have on them. Uh, I don't know if my wife had done them, but we, we were doing a music festival together. She was also a musician. And I sold one of my CDs. Wow. Uh, and the guy paid for it. A guy paid for it with uh, a mushroom wrapped with a $10 bill wrapped around it. And I was That's like, oh. Funny. And then I bought more mushrooms from him. And it just seemed like this was the time and place to do them. We were you know, at this festival uh, on an island for the weekend. This guy's
0: uh, a genius marketer, too. Uh Yeah. <laughs> Like did, he did really a great job you. yeah uh
2: and it was very worthwhile um <laughs> and i remember that night i felt i felt connected to like the concepts from that book
0: yeah that
2: i had uh that i'd read that like i was like, oh this is you know i'm not saying that I'm an enlightened master, but I am saying that sure. i now under at that point i understood enlightenment more than I had before, and uh similarly let's see. So I started enjoying mushrooms a lot, like I, where I hadn't really, like pot had sort of clouded my brain, like mushrooms kind of like zoomed in and like focused.
0: Mushrooms have DMT in them or? No. I don't think so. No, but it, Psilocybin. It, it, but it has um kind of a, they're hallucinogenics. People feel connected to the universe. People have. Yeah.
2: The first time I went to an ayahuasca ceremony in 2014, the guide came around and like talked to people before yeah. beforehand. And uh-huh. he said to me, have you done this before? And I said, No. And he said, "Have you done mushrooms?" And I said, "Yes, and he said, "Good, good, good. It's very different, so
0: it's very different, but it's okay. i mean
2: it's it's like and the a joke that I tell about it is that number one it's sort of like if mushrooms could do mushrooms, it's like there's a different dimension uh. I, in play at, but it definitely you know if you've done mushrooms before you do ayahuasca, you you're not, you're like maybe one step closer to infinity, like, you know, as opposed to zero steps, having no concept of what, you know, what can happen, what, what can sort of like creep into and, and out of yourself, your consciousness, your brain, your head, yeah. your body. Uh, there's different, they're definitely different, but it's like the joke that I tell is like, you know, be like meeting somebody who'd never had chocolate and they're like, explain chocolate to me. And you're like, well, have you ever had a potato? You know, it, <laughs> it's, it's eating something, you know, it's going in and having... So
0: ayahuasca is chocolate compared to potato?
2: Yeah, mushrooms are potato. Mushrooms,
0: mushrooms are potato. Yes. So much deeper.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, there are people that I know that have done ayahuasca ceremonies and felt that it was similar to mushrooms. But I think that for me, like the most... It would have to be like a a less intense ayahuasca ceremony for it to be closer to what mushrooms are like. Like the most powerful mush uh m- the most powerful mushroom trip that I've ever had doesn't come close to the most powerful ayahuasca ceremony that I've ever had. Got it. Like I, yeah.
0: I um so if I may share, um I meditated for so long that I started tripping while I was awake. Sh- sure. I mean that happens to people. And I, after, I mean, but this is like documented in Asia, I guess it's called like too much wind. Hmm. So you can over meditate. And I became intuitive. I became psychic and I started seeing spirits and then I became a healer and all this stuff happened from me- over meditating, I guess, is one of the things that happened. I, had a, I basically had kind of like a mental breakdown. I received a ton of Reiki sessions in acupuncture and then um, had this sort of started seeing spirits everywhere and uh, couldn't function. As you could imagine. So that's why I haven't done ayahuasca is because I reeled back into this dimension and reality. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the thing that – a thing that's valuable that might be valuable yes. for you – I mean, I think that could be valuable for anybody. Right. But going into an ayahuasca ceremony, going into a mushroom trip, going yeah. into yeah. any kind of emotional experience, uh, the guide always says – doesn't always say, but it's always valuable when I hear and can remind myself. Uh, he says, the effects come and the effects go. Uh, Uh, Like nothing is uh, nothing is eternal. Nothing is forever. Like in at least in our own experience, in our sensory, in our perceptive, in our emotional, uh, in that kind of experience. Um, So that's that's something that would have been that could have been valuable to me. uh, Like when I had like some lengthy seeming, you know, time dilated mushroom trips where it felt like that was forever. uh, Or that happened to me on Salvia once Um, but yeah, for the most part, when I started doing mushrooms, uh, I had good times. I had, you know, sometimes like at worst it was just like fun and laughy, you know, and at best it did seem like connected to something, you know, that I was part of something bigger. Oh, I remember the thing that I had, the other book that I'd read recently before I did mushrooms was, um, Ishmael. I don't know if you know that book. It's, it's about a psychic gorilla that teaches a dude about the history of, society and agriculture essentially (laughs) um that
0: sounds amazing
2: uh it's really great it's uh
0: i'm writing that down oh yeah and uh it
2: was it was basically it talked about how our our culture is you know sort of one that is one of like there's takers and there's leavers and sort of lever lever societies are ones that are just like now sort of indigenous peoples in you know in the jungle in Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just places that have been not disturbed by like the larger society that We sort of like that goes back to 10,000 years ago when farming was invented, when we started being able to make more food than we needed and lock it up. And then that made it necessary to have people watching over the food. And then we had that's what also started, you know, maybe capitalism because and like jobs and the workday, because before that, it was just like people hunted or gathered, you know, for a couple hours a day and then chilled out and they had what they needed. Sometimes people would die because they didn't have enough. Sometimes they would have a little bit of a surplus, but the population generally stayed pretty level uh but once they were able to make their own food then population started increasing and then people had to start you know conquering other tribes and moving and expanding and that's what's happened and that's why like the world is you know sort of the population explosion has been continuing for the past thousands and thousands of years and so i'd I'd read that and i forget what i guess i associate that with also like the beginning of my uh my mushroom like education experience. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, the answer isn't necessarily to be like, Oh, well we should get rid of society. We should get rid of, you know, buildings and stop, you know, collecting food. Uh, but it just all started making me think about, you know, like things that were bigger, uh, bigger than me, you know, whether like spiritually bigger or just, uh, you know, physically like, when I know some people who you know who are in recovery programs and sure. you know you're often there some people don't like it because of the idea of the higher power and like they're like i don't believe in a higher power right, right, but right. even if you don't if you don't believe in you know God or some kind of god like higher power, I believe that you know here you know what's a higher power than me is me plus one other person right me, right, right my family, my society the all the whole population of the planet, and that's essentially my One of one of the ways that I look at what God is, the word God means to me is that uh, it's everything. Every every like if God is everywhere, I like that concept Mm -hmm. that it's so it's every we are all parts of We are like every human being, every animal, every non-conscious thing, every bit of, you know, like, because even in a human body, like not every, like your bone doesn't have the same kind of consciousness as like a brain cell. A brain cell by itself doesn't have the same kind of consciousness as all of your brain cells. So,
0: And all of your brain cells don't have the same consciousness as all of your body let's say the gut is the second brain for example
2: sure or i mean you know the brain without the spinal cord can't get all the messages to everywhere else in the body right 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 um and so yeah so so anyway so i was doing mushrooms uh and that's when i first probably heard of ayahuasca and didn't like it because of the idea of the vomiting um but uh, then i sort of I, I probably did mushrooms like a few times a year from my mid 20s to my mid 30s and then when i finally like ha- met my my friend jason who i think i'd known this guy for a while but found out that he had done an ayahuasca ceremony and that it had he was the one who had this experience where he got his you know his father's anger out of him and uh, just this it left this love that was in there uh but had been sort of obstructed and it was just, like, the way that he shared that story with me was beautiful. And I was like, that sounds good. Like, I I want to, you know, part of it was I want to experience a thing like that. Like, I didn't think that I had the same kind of anger issues that he did. But, of course, I'm not a perfect person. Nobody is. And, like, I could, I wonder what benefits I would see. I wonder what lessons I would learn as well as, you know, you hear, like, the same way that mushrooms can be, uh, like, I don't know, you know. Do you know the word entheogenic uh it's basically hallucinogenic but with like teaching like with sort of spiritual yeah so if you you know as opposed to saying like you know oh uh, ayahuasca is a drug or ayahuasca is a right. hallucinogen uh i that's think that's not enough the word yeah the word entheogen i think brings more uh you know more substance to the meaning of the substance and uh yeah so i wanted to i wanted to learn what that was like i'm like you know i'd had these all, all kinds of experiences on mushrooms that were, you know, some bad ones, some uh, – but all, like, kind of these learning ex- – combination learning experiences and also beautiful, you know, like, artistic, creative, like, mm-hmm. philosophical, connective uh, universe, you know, touching experiences – And I'd heard that ayahuasca was, you know, if not similar, like something that I'm like, you know, if uh, if they were selling mushrooms on Amazon, they may like if you love mushrooms, then you might also (laughs) or Netflix. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. You might enjoy ayahuasca. ayahuasca.
3: The superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser. And as a listener, you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone, microphone, and other high-quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSenn, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout.
0: So clearly you've gone on a long spiritual journey and... I would say lo- I'm still going. I, You'll probably be going for the rest of your life, I'm assuming. Maybe more. <laughs> I do, well, I, well, yeah. I mean, I believe in past lives. Not obviously, but yeah, big time. Um, yeah, because when I was in the woods seeing all the spirits, I just started seeing all my lives or a lot of my lives, which people do. Um, it happens when people have awakenings. Anyway, um <laughs> You clearly are on a spiritual journey, spiritual path, and I think we've touched really just probably on a fraction, a small fraction of what you believe or what you've experienced. So how has all of this, I know we talked about ayahuasca, but there are other aspects of your journey as well. How has that informed how you live your daily life? Because you live as a comedian. Yes. Who travels 50% of the time on the road, right? Yes. And so how how has this changed you
2: uh one way it's changed me is uh in what I talk about on stage, like I talk some about this and mm-hmm. I talk some about the like the various you know without being too you know pedantic or uh you know like preachy uh, I hope, but just sharing you know that which i have i have learned uh, i mean sort of like the main the main message that comes a lot of the time from an ayahuasca ceremony or from a meditation or from, you know, any spiritual or religious practice is often, uh, you know, kindness. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Um, you know, be kind to animals. Be kind to the world. And so a lot of the comedy that I'm doing now is geared towards that. Is like, and there's
0: not that much – I mean – a lot of people's comedy is not kind, and historically, it's not kind. Uh,
2: yeah, I would say that there. I mean, I can't speak to. There's so many, you know, comedians right. uh, and so many different, you know, artists of all kinds. Like, and also, I would say that you know, in every situation, um, you know, maybe different things are called for. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not going into like I have a joke about a guy. Who is sort of making fun of this very concept mm. of like talking about being kind? Like he's like, we all we all know that, <laughs> like everybody knows that. I'm like, well, it seems like you don't right now. No, I, I, uh, I
0: don't think people know that. No.
2: Um, I mean, you know, it is a thing that everybody is taught as a child, or maybe not everybody, but at least we we think is, you know, most reasonable people are like, oh yeah, like you know, the golden rule, treat, you know, love thy neighbor, like whatever
0: right.
2: form of it is. But then people are like, okay, so my neighbor, but not like the guy two streets over because that guy's a real asshole. Right, uh, right, right. You know, people have different definitions, whereas, you know, probably uh, there, there's one, other, one specific spiritual uh, text that I haven't mentioned that is newly relevant to my life because my girlfriend, uh, of the past almost two years is very, very much a student of uh, Course in Miracles.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar.
2: And uh, it, cool. it essentially talks about, like, so when you talk about, uh, like, you know, past lives or things, mm-hmm. it, like, I think A Course in Miracles essentially talks about uh, when, you know, it uses Christian language, but often so. it's, uh, I would say the messages are potentially even more Buddhist than anything else. But it also doesn't claim to be, I think, even a religious practice. It's uh just one the person do you know Marianne Williamson?
0: I sure do. Uh, I like, tried to get her on the podcast. It ah, didn't work.
2: My girlfriend and I go <laughs> and see her talk. Uh she Tuesday does like, nights, right? Yeah. And uh she, you know, she says of it, of the course, that it is, you know, what I would say like one path up the mountain, you know, that yes. there's all these paths that are potentially in parallel. Another a thing that my friend Zach shared me shared me uh with a from a rabbi who did a talk about like this this wall that had all these holes in it and beyond the beyond the wall is like the universal truth god light love yeah. spirit whatever you think of as the truth and each hole represents a different uh faith tradition or a different tradition of anything like one hole could be you know buddhism one is judaism one is ayahuasca one is atheism one is science one is meditation uh, and that from afar you can see all these holes and see how many different uh, paths there are to that truth, but the, the light is coming through, you know, if you're farther back, then the more holes you can see, but the dimmer the light comes through any one and the closer you get to any one, then you're more like, wow, Judaism really has a lot of stuff. Like, look at, look at all this intense, you know, yeah. light coming through. But if you're, you know, the person looking through the Catholic hole is getting, you know, just as powerful a dose through just yes. these, this different structure.
0: Well, it's also, I, I, I think about it as like the Tower of Babel. In terms of that there are many languages that people use to speak to each other and, to, and many ladders that they use to climb. So it's really each religion is its own. Sorry.
2: Sure. Many, many paths to the same truth, the truth of which is essentially, you know, love. Like love is this ultimate, like universal, unchanging, deep down within all of us that uh, like the Course in Miracles would say, you know, when it talks about Christ uh, as like God's son uh, and there's only one the you know some some christian traditions would say like oh yeah jesus was this special dude and we all are different but of course, in Miracles is like, oh no, we are all, you know, part of the sonship that there is, you know, in a Buddhist type of way. Like, we are all one. We are all the one. We're the yes. only one here, which is like another thing that when I listen to or read Ramdas things mm-hmm. like that's a similar thing, which is also the same language that my buddy Jason, who introduced me to ayahuasca. Like when he did it, he's like, I'm not a guy who like believes in auras or all this stuff. Yeah. But he's like, But like I saw them and like we're I'm like, we're all the same guy. And That there are, you know, these different languages, these different paths, these different fingers pointing at the same moon, these different, you know, uh, paths up the same mountain. And uh, so I guess all of these things, you know, becoming re... Uh, reacclimated to, you know, reengaged with Judaism in a way that I never yes. was growing up. You know, hearing these stories from like my beloved friend, who to whom they mean more things, and so because of him, they mean more things to me. And the same way that like whenever Ram Dass tells a story about a Buddhist monk, and I'm like, wow, that has this resonant power. And like the messages of the stories are always like, you know, gratitude and compassion and self love and forgiveness.
0: And and one thing that is really huge in judaism which i don't think i really appreciated growing up and i didn't really understand is that a lot of the religions point to virtue the religions are not are about self-love but really they're they're about doing good deeds and in judaism that's what the mitzvot are what the mitzvahs are is that you your duty is to do good deeds for others and for the universe and that is part of, you know, Christianity has that in terms of, as well, a lot of the religions do. I, I just some oh, yeah. religions are more, their good deeds come from a place of maybe a lot of compassion versus maybe action. Um, and I feel like the further deeper I would go into Judaism, I feel like I'm coming up in Buddhism or coming up in, I've been studying a lot of Zoroastrianism, which is really interesting because as as a foundation for what the judeo-christian tradition comes from a lot of that anyway
2: sure i mean in any one human lifetime like i don't think you can fully you can't read all of the texts of all of the traditions (laughs) i'm trying uh but they all you know you can't you know you can't listen to all of the podcasts and watch all of the movies and read all of the books and visit all of your friends you know and Mm -hmm. so that was a thing that honestly when i uh i used to want to do everything i used to want to maximize like all the experiences have all of the good life experiences but that is uh i mean literally in one life impossible so and also
0: ha- not the point of life.
2: I mean, it, I mean, in my opinion, choices are right. are necessary. And so, you know, I start each day with meditating and writing, and then you know, communing with people in the form of you know sometimes emails. Uh, my friend Zach, I talk on the phone to most days multiple times. Uh, my girlfriend and I, you know, when she's not working, we you know sometimes we have our alone time. Sometimes we have our together time. I have you know my podcast. I have friends. Uh, that i you know try to meet because i think the most important one of the most important things in life is you know communing you know communing with both you know yourself and uh your your family your chosen family your friends uh people like like minded people other you know s- seekers members of your satsang you know or sangha uh and it's so i guess the way that all of these things have had these effects on my life like all of these things, you know, whether meditation, ayahuasca, reconnecting to Judaism through my friend, you know, continuing to learn about Buddhist things and Zen things through reading the Tao Te Ching or, uh, and learning about Taoism, I guess that would mm-hmm. be, uh, or like listening to Ram Dass's podcast or reading Be Here Now or reading A Course in Miracles and connecting to that and to my girlfriend, like all of these things. Uh, Whatever is happening at the time, you know, and with meditation, just striving to be present and with ayahuasca, uh, you know, learning, you know, sort of looking at the past and seeing what I did and and what I've done and what other people have done and, you know, choosing, trying to re, you know, re up the, the positive things, the kind things, the loving things and, you know, Uh, note the things that I've done or that have been done that are not as ideal and try to let those, you know, fall away and, you know, vote for people who will, you know, hopefully help make the world more loving and kind and, you know, do activism and essentially, you know, try to be as mindful in, you know, action and inaction as possible. And so, like, while I've been my whole life sort of, you know, trying to do things, uh, I think, for myself like i think i used to think like happiness was the would have been like the the thing that was most important to be like i want to be happy and i want everyone to be happy i want everyone to possibly be you know as happy and fulfilled and get what they want uh but now i don't necessarily think that that's not true or admirable but focusing on like what can i do you know like cuz when you know when you love someone then when you give someone love you still you have love and they have love it you know it doesn't it's not like there's a limited amount of it and that when you give it away, you don't have it. It's like one of the only things I mean, it's the only thing in that exists for real. And so it's a renewable resource. Yeah, I mean, it is the only th- and it's it's really the only thing that I mean, I guess, in a, in a sense is real and makes sense so that like showing love, giving love, sharing love, expressing love, uh, like thinking about things in these terms like that, like doing that, you know. Being there for people, like helping people, listening to people, uh, those are the things that uh, that I I strive to focus on more now uh, than before I started this path. When I was, you know, a child, a teenager, a twenty-something year old yesterday, you know, just always striving to be better for people, the world, and myself.
0: That was really beautiful. So, Mike, um, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and your experience and your mystical, loving nature. I thank you. Would you like to – how can people get in touch with you?
2: Oh, uh, I wish they wouldn't. No. Okay.
0: Maybe, uh, or what would you like to plug? No, how about that?
2: If, no, you, I also welcome people to feel free to, if you put in Mike Kaplan spelled the way that I do, M Y Q K A P L A N anywhere online, you'll find my website. You can email me at Gmail with I that. Did, yeah, uh, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it I, I do welcome you to, I like getting emails. Uh, you can listen to my albums, the most recent one of which is called no kidding. And it's about how I don't want kids. Uh, my special <laughs> is on Amazon, the podcast that I've been doing for years. Uh, is available on keith and the girls website uh it's called hang out with me and i have a new podcast uh out uh just it's just started coming out this year called uh broccoli and ice cream where i discuss with friends artists comedians other people anyone who i want to talk to that wants to talk to, to me uh about the the work of broccoli and the joy of ice cream, uh, you know, in their lives. There are free episodes every week on iTunes or wherever you get free things, and there's bonus episodes every week at Kickstarter Drip. Uh and yeah, so just you can if you put my name anywhere, you can follow me on all of the the places mm-hmm. that there are to IG, follow people. Tweet
0: Twitter, the tweeters. Oh, yeah. Yes. All the things. IG
2: Tweets. It's my new, it's my like TGI Friday restaurant. IG. IG Tweets. It's not a real restaurant. I like it. <laughs> Go to the other stuff. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for asking questions and having me here and it's teaching me the things that you taught me. Uh,
0: yeah. Thank you. And for you, reflect on all the different paths to the mountain, to enlightenment, and to love. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Jessica Brodkin. You could find me at loveandlightservices.com or on social media at Jessica Brodkin, B-R-O-D-K-I-N. And be on the lookout for All
1: Possibilities. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at All Possible Show. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play, and our website, allpossibilitiesshow.com. This show is produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the show may be distributed or published without the expressed written permission of the producers. Thank you for joining us.
0: This is Mouth Media Network covering the business of lifestyle.